invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 16. As a church family, we're going through the Psalms, uh, one Psalm a week, and so here we are on the 16th Sunday of 2023, and so we are in Psalm 16. And for me, there is a little bit of a bittersweetness in, in coming to this Psalm because the very last verse of this Psalm is a verse that... Uh, uh, is on a wall in uh, Amy's family's home and has been as long as I've known them and I think all the way through Amy's childhood. So to, to see uh, Psalm 1611 is to think of that home and then now it is also for me a reminder of therefore because of that, uh, uh, Psalm 16 was the passage that I chose for my father-in-law's memorial service this past summer uh, to reflect on uh, what God says through his word in this psalm and thinking through uh, the ways in which uh, my life and the life of those dearest to me were so impacted by him. Uh, and so it's bittersweet in coming back to Psalm 16. But here's what it reads. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That'll conclude the reading of this psalm. We'll be in a few other places in the Bible this morning, and so I encourage you to keep a Bible close by. But uh, some of the psalms that we've come to have been uh, written in a time of great grief or sorrow by the psalmists, where they're asking questions about why God would allow certain things to happen and why they're going through things. And here, we're clearly at a very different um, emotional state on the part of the psalmist. There is great rejoicing and, and joy that the psalmist is experiencing and, and summarized there in that last verse, that in God's presence there is fullness of joy and there are pleasures forevermore. And so we're, we're coming into a psalm where there is, uh, someone is counting their blessings and being, uh, just taking account for all of the good things that God has done in their life. Uh, and all along the way, we've sort of said uh, our own experiences might not exactly match <laughs> the emotions of the psalm. And so at previous times, in, in very good weeks, uh, I've come to psalms that the psalmist was clearly going through a valley and there was a bit of a disconnect in the joy of my immediate circumstances and the sense of anger and grief on the part of the psalmist. And here I recognize for some of you, you might be coming in... Uh, having had a difficult week, having loved ones in your life who are going through 
profound difficulties and tragedies, and so then coming to a psalm that's mostly upbeat and positive, and it's, it's a, a psalm where the psalmist is thanking God for answered prayer. Could cause you to say, well, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? <laughs> why hasn't my deliverance come in that same way? But we do have a passage in Romans 12, and this will be the, the first point for us. Uh, in Romans 12, it tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And that we're called to do both of those things. But I submit to you, and you can talk to me afterwards if you think I'm wrong, if we are in a state of rejoicing, it is a little bit easier and possible to come alongside those who are weeping and, and begin to empathize with them and comfort them. I think it's a little bit more of a stretch for us and a, a step in faith for us when we are weeping to obey the first part of that verse, which is to rejoice with those who rejoice. That in our struggles and circumstances that might be challenging and perplexing, to recognize that it is a step in faith to come alongside others and recognize that sometimes on the day that we might have received the worst news of our lives, somebody has received the best news of their lives. When we're feeling a sense of, of, of loss, that they're feeling a sense of gain. One of my favorite passages in the Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where it says there's a time for everything under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to sow. And a, as you read through that description, uh, initially for me that was often thought of as those are all different seasons that we will encounter over the course of our life. And that's true. We will be born, we will die. We will experience times of loss and times of gain. So we will likely go through each of those seasons. But living among family and a community and a neighborhood, it's also true that all of those things are happening at the same time to somebody. That somebody right now is breathing their last breath at Akron General Hospital. And someone just breathed their first. And it's happening in close proximity. It's happening within seconds, within minutes. And in our lives, those experiences uh, are multiplied. Somebody is losing and somebody is gaining. And uh, it can be difficult for us when we're going through a period of loss uh, and tragedy, a time of questioning and wondering, to obey the first part of that passage in Romans 12, which is, to still choose to come alongside those in their joy and celebrate with them. Be thankful for the good things that God is doing in the lives of other people when we ourselves might not be doing that. So all of us in Psalm 16 are sort of being invited with however we're at the moment feeling or whatever circumstances we're presently going through to rejoice with someone who is rejoicing. <laughs> to thank God for the answered prayer in David's life. We don't get all of the details to sense what was it, which moment was it in his life that he was specifically thanking God for, but there's a sense that he was very much concerned that he wasn't going to make it through the night, that he wasn't going to live much longer. He wasn't sure how the prognosis was going to play out. And so it, it wasn't just fear and anxiety in his mind, but his body, his flesh was genuinely at risk. And now it's not. And he's rejoicing. He's thankful that he feels now a sense of security. And so in that now security, there's a peacefulness in his mind, in his heart, and that his flesh, verse 9, dwells secure. 
And so he's just got good news that he wants to share because he had been going through something in his own life previously that was so difficult and so hard. And now he has a great joy in the fact that he has been protected. And he's celebrating that. And we have that obligation. When God does answer our prayers, it's encouraging to tell other people, this is what I was going through. This is the valley I was in. And here's a way in which God did something new. And so we need the testimonies of other people, of their triumph, of their victories, of the ways they uh, were brought out of the pit so that we can hear those stories and have faith that as God has done that for others, he might also do that for us. And so David is rejoicing in that. He is thanking God. He's celebrating and he's writing a song for us to sing with him, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And that comes from Romans 12. This next phrase also comes from the New Testament. It comes from James chapter 1. But in spite of all the challenges that David clearly had, where his flesh did not at one point feel secure, what he is now mostly doing is reflecting on God's goodness and faithfulness. And he's acknowledging that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that's what it says in James 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. David's rejoicing, but in his rejoicingness, his own uh, physical strength, uh, he's not rejoicing in his wisdom and his smarts. All of David's rejoicing in this psalm is in God's deliverance, that God has given him every good and perfect gift from above. And not just that God has given him gifts, but that God has given him himself. That's what he says, in, in your presence is fullness of joy. Many times our prayer lives can come to God in a way like sort of a genie in the bottle where we're hoping that maybe we can figure out how to say this the right way or do the right thing so that God will give us all the things we really want. And what David is saying is he's learned that God is the greatest gift. And he has done all these good things for me. And part of what he's done is he's given me himself. I heard a, a pastor one time say it this way, and I thought it, it stuck with me ever since. God is the gospel. God is the good news. That God made us, that he is for us, that he offers his presence to us, is the gift. The gospel is not some other thing that we get and we put on and then we can walk away from God. God is the gospel. It's the good news that he is always right. He is always just, as the Apostle John would say, that in him is light and there is no darkness at all. He is always good. And so in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there are pleasures forevermore. Because he is from everlasting to everlasting. And so the good that he does and offers in himself lasts as long as he will last. And no one can defeat him. No one can bring him to an end. No one can ultimately thwart his purposes in his will. But we are tempted so many times to doubt that God is really good. And that his ways and his word and his will and his purpose for us are really good. And so we have to challenge ourselves through his word, through, through other believers, to say, do we really believe that he is good, that he is the author of every good and perfect gift? 
even when we think back on the law of God, uh, sometimes we think back on the law and we'll almost regularly talk about it in negative ways, how burdensome it is and how difficult it is, rather than realizing that God's law communicates his character and it, it shows us that he's good. Just think of one example. God wanted to make sure that in his law that he would command you and me to rest. That he would command in his summary of the ten that you and I would rest. What kind of God commands it, makes it his rule and law that you and I need to take a Sabbath? That you and I need to rest? A God that is good, a God that is just and kind. Many times we reject that and we think, no, that's just not practical. I mean, I could get so much more done if I didn't uh, do that and didn't honor that. And that's part of the lie that Satan tries to tell us, that that's wasteful or, or, or not productive. And yet we find out time and again, if we ignore God's law and his word and we work too much, it eventually affects the way in which we work. It affects our heart. It affects our mind. It affects our body because we're not honoring the very way in which he has designed us and made us, that we need to stop. We need to take breaks. We need to rest. And what is good for our bodies is good for our minds and our souls, that God has made us in this way, that the psalmist is rejoicing, that his flesh is secure and so his heart is excited and he knows his soul is not going to be abandoned and all of that is true of us that the God who made us and designed us in this way has commanded for us what is good for us. And so one of the most spiritual things you can do is take breaks. One of the best things you could do this afternoon is take a nap. And that the God who made you is telling you that. You need to. Some of you are like, yes. And some of you are like, no, you do that too much. Don't listen uh, to that. What is good for our bodies and our minds is what is good for us. That's how he's made us. God commands us to be generous. The whole sacrificial system where, again, we might read, you know, some of it and say, well, how much did you have to give of this and how much do you have to give of that? And we're always trying to do the least amount of what it says. And we miss the fact that what kind of God would command us to be generous? A good God would. He's, he, he's commanded us to rest. He's commanded us to be generous. What kind of God would tell us to be faithful to the promises that we have made? A good God. So in, in all those ways, God is revealing his character. Now, we struggle to obey most of his law, and so we feel a sense of guilt and shame. But our failure to measure up should not take away from the fact that we should be in awe and stunned that God is that good, that he is that loving, that he is that pure, that every good and perfect gift comes from him and every aspect of his instruction and his will and his way for us is what is best for us. Because if we don't believe that, then we won't go to his word to say, God, what do you say on this matter? But if we believe every good and perfect gift is from him, then we will say, God, I want to know what you say. I know what some of my peers say, I know what I'm hearing on the media, I, I, I know what I'm feeling, the pressure from those around me to say, but God, what do you say about love, about sex, about money, about possessions, about all kinds of things? 
What is your way? What is your wisdom? If you believe his way is best and his purposes are good, then you'll go to him. Whether you feel like you measure up to it or not is another thing. None of us do. That's why the Bible also says all of us have fallen short of his glory. None of us is perfect. All of us are sinners. But our sinfulness does not change the goodness of what God has said for each and every one of us. And that the blessing of joy that he offers us is in obedience to his will and his ways. And that the more we obey him, not in an exchange, all of a sudden, if we do what God wants for us, he'll do what we want. But as we do what he wants us to do, we discover increasingly, this is how he made us. This is how it's supposed to work. This is where joy and love and lasting uh, relationship can be found. This is where goodness uh, can be had. This is where people can feel safe and secure. And so if we recognize that all the good and perfect things come from above, as James says, and here as David is rejoicing, then he says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. I want to know what the Lord says about me, about my life, about my circumstances, about our country, about all of those things. I want to set him before anything else. Why? Because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Then, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. There's joy that comes from experiencing the goodness and the grace of the gift of God himself in our lives. And that's what David is celebrating. That's what all the Psalms, when they talk about the blessing that the Lord offers us, offer us, that blessing is found in obedience to him. Not to earn his favor, but because he's already given us his favor. He's already redeemed Israel. He's already rescued us. And now this is a way that we can enjoy it. Psalm 16 then becomes, actually, it's, it's taken up by the Apostle Peter in the very first sermon of the church. Because then one of the questions is, okay, so David wrote this when God had spared him from something. His life had been rescued and redeemed. And so he was celebrating and wanted all of us to join in that celebration. But we know that eventually, David died. Eventually, David's kingdom came to an end. So how do we sing this psalm where it's celebrating an answered prayer when we can look back on it and say but that was only answered for a time it was only in a season and this is uh, if you have your bibles i invite you to turn to acts chapter 2 one of the very questions that's raised by the apostle peter in the very first sermon that he preached We know that in God's presence are pleasures forevermore is, is the fullness of joy. And we know there were moments that David and other followers experienced that. Uh, we'll pick this up in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church, so we're kind of hitting Pentecost a little bit early right now, uh, but this is Pentecost. The Spirit has been poured out, and now Peter's beginning to preach, and here's part of his sermon. 
uh, beginning of verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One seek corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And that's where we'll stop. So there's the Apostle Peter taking up Psalm 16 and saying, we know that even though David prayed this prayer of thanksgiving at a moment in his life, that can't be the full and final version of the, of the psalm and of the story because we know that he died and we still know where his tomb is. But for Jesus, therefore, the promised one who would come, it finds its fullest and complete expression, which is what's true of all of the promises in the Old Testament. Uh, this comes from first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 1, where it says all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and on. All of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. And that's what enables us to come in whatever circumstance we're in and rejoice with those who rejoice. We can rejoice with those who rejoice in heaven at the resurrection of the Son of God who's now vindicated and at the right hand of the Father. We can enter into that joy because he was not abandoned to Sheol. He was not allowed to be fully and finally corrupted, but he was raised again victorious. And so he's the one who's now at our right hand, at the Father's right hand. He's the one who promises to us that anyone and everyone can come to him, that we can come to his throne of grace and find mercy in a time of need. This is the good news that we celebrate in Psalm 16, that if David had some, uh, so much joy, just imagine how much more joy <laughs> as the fuller picture became clear in the resurrection of Jesus. So it is a step in faith. It is usually taking a, a view outside of our own immediate circumstances and struggles that we all are going through. But everyone here has reasons for joy. Everyone here 
has reasons to believe that in God's presence with us in our daily lives. It's not that we won't go through trials and tribulations and tragedies, but if he is with us through them all, we have every reason to believe that his purposes for us are good and kind, that we have hope for the future, that we have the promise of favor and blessing in our obedience to him. And so may it be said of us that the Lord is our portion, that he is our refuge, that we could say with David that we have no good apart from him. And then a surprising sort of application in verse 3 of Psalm 16, and if that's true, one of the ways that that will become increasingly clear is that we will also love to be with God's people. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Another uh, pastoral influence in my life once said it this way, don't assume you're growing closer to God if you're growing further away from his people. Because as God does draw us closer to him and reveal more of himself to us, he also draws us closer to each other. That we, our joy increases as we share that joy with other people, as other people can partake uh, and, and sing the songs that we sing and point to the Savior who died for us both. It increases our capacity for joy. It strengthens us in times of trouble to be in the presence of those who know that this is where real blessing is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its power. We thank you for the reminder of your goodness that we do go through so many circumstances and difficulties that cause us to question if you are good and if you are kind and if your ways can be trusted. And so we thank you for the ability that we each had to hear in on David's confidence of your goodness, of your blessing, of the, of the joy of your presence. And we pray that we would experience that joy as well that we know that chasing after other gods just leads to more strife and more pain. And so we pray that you would protect us from that. Protect us from idolatry. Protect us from trusting in anyone else except you. Father, help our, our hearts to be wholly devoted to you. Help uh, us like David to keep you before our eyes in each and everything. To trust that you're good and kind. And then, Father, help us to obey your word. Help us to rest. Help us to forgive our enemies. Help us to be generous. Help us to only think on things that are pure and good and noble and lovely. Help our love to bear and believe all things. Help it to not uh, rejoice in wrongdoing, but to rejoice in the truth. Father, help us to find in you the path of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.